this morning we just ask that you will speak through Karen, that she will speak the words that you wanted to speak, and that the message that she will portray will be the message that you want people here to hear on this very important subject of healing. Amen. Amen. Just one second while they Yes, thank you. As, as we all know, um, over the last couple of weeks and for the next couple of weeks, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. And we're looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a number of them. And this morning, we're going to look at the gift of healing. So, some of you may have been told by others, or you may have heard others tell you, that they know of healers. Well, I'll tell you, those people aren't healers. Clearly there are some people who have jobs that require them to heal. Doctors, nurses, physios, pharmacists, speech therapists, chiropodists, chiropractors, dentists, psychiatrists, psychologists. These people are able to heal because that is, that is a talent that they have. That's their job but it's not the gift of healing. The gift of healing comes only from God. And it's God that does the healing, not the person who lays hands on you, prays for you, or does whatever they do, whether they sit with you, whatever they do, it is God that does the healing because it's a supernatural event. So the reality is if any of us in this room have the gift of healing or are given the gift of healing later on in our lives. In order to do that, what we have to be is we have to be vessels that are empty so that God can fill us. So if we're available, God will fill us with the gift and then he will use us to go to the places he wants us to go so that he can do the healing that he wants to do. So that therefore requires us, first of all, to be available to be filled, but it also means that we also have to be available to do what God wants us to do. So that's a little bit about the discernment that was talked about last week and previously. The other thing to say is that God will do the healing that he wishes to do. So we may ask him to do healing, but he will only do what he wants to do. So what the person with the gift of healing becomes is God's ears... God's eyes, God's mouth, God's hands and God's legs. Because the reality is that God cannot move around on this earth. He uses us as his means of getting around. So it's, it's us that he wants to see for him. It's us that he wants to speak for him. And it's us that he wants to go places for him. So if I could have the next slide, please. If it's there. So the next thing I want to look at with you is, what is healing? And I think, at least for myself, when people talk about healing, you automatically think of physical healing. So it's people who have diseases, 
people who are, are getting older, as we all are, or people who have been involved in trauma, and we're looking to restore them back to the way they were so that they can carry on doing the things that they want to do. But I think a really important part of healing that those of us with the gift or those of us that will be given the gift need to be involved in is something we've talked a lot about already this morning. And that's those people who have spiritual or emotional damage and need healing for that because of the challenges that they've faced in their life or continue to face in their life because of relationships that have broken down or that they're involved in and because of their inability to forgive themselves or to forgive others. Uh, many of you know I do some work at the Living Well um, and when we do the Deeper Healing Days the majority of the people that come on those days to spend a day uh, being helped by the team there to have a relationship with God and in the hope of being healed. I can tell you the, most, the majority of people that come don't come for physical healing. They come because of spiritual and or emotional healing that they need. And the reality is, as I've seen working there, is that sometimes that emotional and that spiritual healing has to take place before the physical healing can take place. Often that that low, low self-confidence, that, 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 the worries they have because of their relationship with God or because they feel psychologically unwell makes them unable to receive the physical healing. And sometimes it's the cause of the physical problem. And so sometimes when they've been able to work with God and God has healed them or helped them to be healed of their spiritual or their psychological damage the physical manifestations pass away and they begin to become well again. So it's really about wholeness. So when we pray for healing, when we make ourselves available as a vessel for God to use, does healing always take place? I will tell you it does. But it sometimes doesn't seem as though it does. Because what happens as a result of our prayer and our spending time with people is that God does the healing that he knows needs to be done. He does the healing that he wants to, be, it to happen. But it's not something that we've asked for or that we want. We want something else. But of course, God sees the whole picture and he knows what needs to happen when. He has a plan. And perhaps his plan is more complex than we can understand. But as I've said already, it's God's decision because he knows what we all need and what the world needs. So this really brings me to the, um, the topic of miraculous healings. Because I know when I pray for people, um, but that's often what I'm, what I'm wanting. I'm wanting me to pray for someone and for whatever it is, whether it's physical, emotional or psychological, um, or spiritual, for that to be resolved, for them to be better, and for it really to happen now, because that's what I want. But the reality is, is that miraculous healings are very rare. If we look in the Old Testament, there are 12 individuals healed by prophets specifically mentioned, three references to groups of people healed by prophets, and three incidents of God healing people. 
So that's 18 incidents in the whole of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's 31 reports of incidents of Jesus healing people and eight reported incidents of the disciples healing people. So that's 39 in the New Testament. So only 55 recorded incidents in 4,000 years throughout the whole Bible. So they're rare. So we, we look for them, we expect them, and sometimes they will happen, but they're rare. So if you have the gift of healing, if you're praying for people, and you don't see that miraculous event, it's not about you. It's about the grand plan. I believe that God uses miraculous healings as a sign. It's when he wants to demonstrate to people or a person something about who he is and his power. If you look at the miraculous healings throughout the Bible, they, are, they happen in situations where God wants to show people who he is, that he's a loving, compassionate father with power. It's about making a point. It's about showing people a situation. So in today's world, if there's a miraculous healing, it's often about that group of people or the people around that person recognising who God is. So, coming back to us as the, as, the, as the healers, if we have the gift, the desire healing, as I say, may be God, part of God's plan, or it may not be. Or it may be that we're not the person who God wants to carry out that, that healing. He doesn't want to do it with us. Or it may just not be the right time. So as I say, if, you, if you're praying for someone, if you've made yourself available to God to be that vessel through which he can heal, and the healing doesn't take place, you are not at fault. The person you are praying for is not at fault. God doesn't love you or that person any more or any less than somebody else who may have been healed this week or may be seeing healing in their lives. The reality is God cannot love you or anybody else any more or any less than he does. He loves us all equally. Um, and it's not about your faith. I hear lots of people say, well, I don't have enough faith. It's not about that. That's a lie. That's the lie that the devil uses to try to break down your relationship with God. It's not about that. It's about what I've already said. It's about God's plan, which we don't really understand. And God will heal as he chooses because he has the big picture. And remember also um, that healing sometimes takes time to happen. So it may be that it's many, many years. A couple of weeks ago, for those of you who were here, and I'm terrible with names, but there was a boy who'd gone to university, and we were told that he was told when he was born that he would never, I think, never reach adulthood, wasn't it? And he'd gone away to university with, with autism? Yeah. yeah. And, sorry, yeah. Bailey. Bailey, that's right. So we've seen over those years Bailey be healed but probably not really seen it as healing because it just happens every day. But Bailey was healed over time. So sometimes if you or I are praying with people, if we're seeking healing for people, or we're taking them to people who are praying for them, we have to have patience and we have to, have be pers we have to persevere. It's something that, you know, as I say, you want that miraculous event, but sometimes we just have to keep waiting and waiting and waiting and believing. And some examples of this we can see in the Bible. If I could have the next slide, please. 
The first one is from John chapter 5, verses 2 to 10. Um, and this is where we see Jesus heal an invalid of 38 years in the pool by the shepherd's gate, as it says here. Now there, in, now there is in Jerusalem, near the shepherd's gate, a pool. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame and the paralysed. One who had been there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he lied to him and learned that he'd been in that condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And the belief here was that when the water stirred, that was when the healing was going to take place. So clearly he couldn't get into the pool. While I was trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once that man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. This man has waited a long time for that healing. The next slide, please. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. And here we see um, the healing of a lame man at the temple gate called Beautiful. A man who Jesus had walked past many, many, many times. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth had been carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he had put down every day to beg for those going into the temple court. Then Peter said, because clearly he asks Peter and John, he asks them for some money. And Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now, clearly here, Jesus has walked past this man many times, but it wasn't for Jesus to do this. Jesus knew the plan. This was for, this was for Peter to do at a particular time. The next reading, please. This is from Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Um, and here, Paul and others have prayed for, if I said his name right, Tropinimus, to be healed. Um, but unfortunately, despite all of their prayers, he hasn't been healed. He's still very ill. So as they say, as Paul says, I left Tropinimus ill in Miletus. So he's had to get, Paul has had to realise that despite all the prayers that he and others have done, this man is not going to be healed. He's too ill to travel with them, so they've left him behind. And the final one, please, that's uh, Luke 8, verses 40 to 53. Um, this, this reading, I think, really teaches us about the need just to trust in God and to wait. Because this, of course, is about Jairus, whose daughter is very ill. And Jairus desperately, desperately wants Jesus to come and, and be with his daughter before his daughter dies. But, of course, as we all know, as Jesus is, is making his way to Jairus' house through the crowds, there is a lady who has been hemorrhaging for many years who comes out of her home. Um, she's very courageous. She takes many risks. But she touches the hem of Jesus' gown. And, of course, as we know, it takes time because he, he recognises that she's touched the gown. He asks, who is it? Who's touched me? And, of course, she's miraculously healed. And as it says in the reading... Um, Whilst this is going on, um, people come from Jairus' house and they say that your daughter has died, she's dead. When Jesus was still speaking, 
Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. In other words, in my time, when I'm ready, I've got a plan. And as we know, he arrives at the house. He doesn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's, the child's mother and father. And as we know, um, Jesus goes into the room and he declares that she's not dead, she's sleeping. But those two readings, I think, show us that actually sometimes, as I say, it isn't going to happen. Sometimes it's not for us to do. And sometimes it's in God's time, not in our time. What it also shows us, I think, is that sometimes when, when people talk about healing ministry, we talk about laying hands on people, we talk about other things that happened in the Bible, having people having handkerchiefs or shadows over them, and all these, you know, you've got to do it this way. Actually, you haven't. The healing ministry of one that you just do it the way you do it with God, um, and that you don't need anything special. You just need to, to be in communion with God. And you just have to do what God asks you to do. Because as I've said already, it is he who is the healer. It's him who's doing the healing. It's not you. It's not about you. It's just about him. It's all about you just being available. So my third question for us this morning is, so how do we use the gift of healing if we have it? And this, I think, is for all of us to personally reflect I think the first question we all have to ask ourselves is, do we have the gift of healing? Has God given it to us? Because, of course, he, he can give it to any of us, and he will give it to any of us. He'll give it to those of us who are in the right place at the right time, those of us that are open to be filled by the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the healing. So that's the first question, I think, to ask of ourselves. Do, do we have it? And that's about looking at your life and your relationships with people and thinking, when I'm with people, do I see healing taking place? Now, when I, when I say take, see healing taking place, as I said earlier on, we often think about miraculous events. We often think about people being healed. But healing is, is, is much more than that. Healing is just about somebody sometimes when you leave them feeling better about themselves feeling less lonely, feeling more content, just feeling helped. Those little worries that they came with, those little burdens that they were worried about. How am I going to get to the supermarket? All of those things, that is healing. Because those are the things that make us feel unwell, particularly psychologically and spiritually unwell. So, do we have the gift? And if we have it, do we or did we use it? I say do we or did we because... It may be that it was given to us and we, then it's taken away from us and then it's been re-given to us. So did we or do we use it? Were we available for God to fill us? Did we ask God for the gift? I mean, he may not give it to you because it may not be the appropriate time. But were we available? Did we spend time with God, enabling him to fill us? <coughs> Do we give time to other people so that God can use us? In our busy lives, do we, are we able to find time to say, well, actually, that's the time when I'm going to serve the people around me. 
when I'm going to use that gift that I have. Aren't we fearless, brave, willing to take risks, non-judgmental and compassionate? Because to spend some time with someone and to pray with them and to seek healing for them requires you to be fearless. It requires you to take risks. It requires you to be brave. Because as I've already said, it may not appear that anything happens. It has because that person will have had some healing, even if it's only psychological or spiritual healing. They may not have miraculously been healed of the physical thing they're suffering from. But actually, it's, it's, you have to be brave to do that. To, to say to somebody, I'll pray for you, you have to be brave because you can look as though you failed. You have to be non-judgmental because you don't really know what they're going to talk to you about. And clearly you have to be compassionate. So are we? And are we encouraging those people who are seeking healing also to be fearless, brave and willing to take risks? Because to sit down and to share with people and to share with God your worries, your concerns, particularly, as I said, the emotional and the spiritual, takes courage. Because often it's about talking about those things that you are ashamed of or you're not proud of or whatever. And to, to actually sit with someone and ask them to pray, you've got to share that with them. You've got to trust them. You've got to take the risks. And also asking God sometimes requires some bravery because people sometimes are uncomfortable with that. So are we encouraging people to take those risks? Are we holding people's hands, enabling them to do what they have to do? And here again in the Bible, we have several adva- uh, um, examples of this. If those of you that remember the, the, uh, the story of the healing of the man on the bed, and you know he has been ill for a long time, and some friends, I'm not sure whether that's because they're, they're, you know, they're exhausted with his illness or whether they just desperately want to heal him. They put him on a bed, as you know, they take the roof off the house that Jesus is in, and they lower him down. Now that, for me, is a real example of bravery, and taking a risk, because, you know, most of us don't want the roof of our house lifted out, so somebody can be let down. And also, of course, he's jumping the queue, because there's hundreds of people that want to see Jesus, and he's being lowered, in a sense, jumping the queue. The centurion servant, again, the centurion has gone to Jesus and asked for healing. That took courage. And as we know, um, Jesus asked the centurion, where is this person? And the centurion says... You don't need to come to my house. You just, need, you just need to pray. But both of these people needed friends to be brave, to take risks, to be fearless, in order for them to receive the healing that God had for them. They needed other people to be courageous. And an example we've already looked at in Luke 8, the lady that's hemorrhaging. She had to be fearless. She had to be brave. She had to take risks. She had, this lady, because of the hemorrhaging, had lived on her own for many, many years. She was unclean. She was not allowed out. She had spent hundreds and hundreds of pounds seeking medical treatment. She had gone through possibly the, the most horrendous treatment possible. There was no hope, but she hears Jesus is in the village. And she gets out of the house, risking being persecuted by other people. She gets to Jesus, and she touches the rabbi's gown. Now, that takes courage and of course he asks who touched me and now she's got to stand up in front of everybody and say it was me and of course as a result of that she's healed if she hadn't had that bravery she'd still be sitting in that house 
Is it? We don't know, but Jesus is unlikely to have gone to the house because there were so many other things to do. So do we encourage people to have that bravery? When we're with people, do we listen and hear what they're actually saying to us? You know, you often people say to people, oh, how do you feel today? Are you okay? And often before they've answered, you're already walking down the road. But do we listen to people? Are we able, are we able to hear when people need that listening ear, when people need that encouragement, when people need that prayer? Because that's, that's healing ministry. So are we, are we listening to God who may be saying to us, hang on a minute, Karen, you need to spend 10 minutes or 20 minutes with this person. They, they need someone just to listen to them. Even if, even if this, you know, or just sit with them in silence. They just need someone to be with them. Are we listening to what, what they're saying? Are, they, are we listening for them to tell us what they want rather than what we believe they need? So are we doing that? Are we listening and hearing? Are we encouraging forgiveness? Because one of the biggest causes of, 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 of trauma, of harm, one of the biggest things that people need healing for is the fact that they themselves believe themselves not to be good people. They, they either can't forgive themselves or they can't forgive other people. And as we all know, if you can't forgive other people, what you end up doing is carrying this very big rucksack on your back of grievance. You know, they haven't said this and they haven't said that. The person who you hold that rucksack for has no understanding of it at all because they've moved on. But you are held down by all these things that people owe you. And it makes you ill. Relationships break down. You can't communicate with other people. You're bitter and twisted. And the people who have made you bitter and twisted are just getting on with their lives. So are we encouraging ourselves and other people to forgive? Not forget, because we have to remember what people have done to us, but to forgive. Are we, are we promoting reconciliation as part of healing? And are we encouraging the people who come to us, who seek healing, to speak and listen to God? Could I have the next slide, please, Carl? Thank you. Oh, sorry, you turned it off. Okay. It'll come up in a minute. Because what, what will come up on the screen, hopefully in a moment, is what I call the healing trinity. And the healing trinity is, God is in one corner, you with the healing ministry, through God are in the other corner, and then you have the person who wants to be healed. And the reality is that healing takes place because somebody goes to God and seeks the healing. You are just the person who in a sense encourages that person. So God is speaking to you, is discerning to you what you need to do as the person with the gifting. You are going to the person who wants to be healed and then they are going to God for the healing because it is not you that is doing the healing. So are, you, are we encouraging people? There we are. Are we encouraging people to spend time with God, doing whatever they need to do, um, for some people, it might be reading the Bible. For some people, it might be writing poetry. For some people, it might be just walking around the garden. For some people, it might be doing something um, um, physical. Uh, recently, at the Living Well, I worked with a lady who, for many years, felt that relationships she'd been in had binded her. She felt that she was bound by, by uh, weeds and by barbed wire. 
because of the situation she'd been in. And one of the things that she chose to do in the afternoon was take a pair of secretaires and go out into the garden and just cut the bindweed down. For her, that was breaking it around herself. Now, that may sound to some of us quite strange, but she found that really therapeutic because once she'd cut it, it was gone. Um, so it's a, but that was her and God. When she spent some time with God reading the Bible, she came and said, I need to cut these, this bindweed from around me. So are we, are we encouraging people to be in relationship with God because it's God who is the healer? We're only the, 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 med, the medium in between. I have a friend who takes quite a lot of medication and what she does every morning is she prays over it. She prays that God will use that medication to heal her. So again, that's quite a simple thing, but we may just say to people, before you take your medication, pray over it. Do we use the opportunity of silences just to allow people to have time to be with God and to share with us? And for some of us, silences, for me, silences are difficult. Some of us, silences are difficult, but sometimes people just need a silence just to think and to, to get together their thoughts about what they need to say. Because unless you declare it and unless you say, this is what I need healing for, you, it, it, it doesn't happen because you don't recognize it. And, f and my final point really about this is, within the church, do we make ourselves available as a mentor for other Christians, new Christians in the church or even older Christians in the church who are struggling with their spiritual life? Do we make ourselves available to them so that they can speak to us and again so that we can be God's means of healing as they go through those, those traumas of their spiritual life? So do we make ourselves available if we have the gift? Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, you know, that, that's fine, Karen, but, you know, I don't feel I have much to give. I don't feel I've got the gift of healing. You know, I've got a busy life. It's not really me. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a small fish in a big pond, and, you know, God wouldn't use me. Well, let's just remember that God can do much with little. If we think about the feeding of the 5,000, we know it was much more than 5,000 because it's only 5,000 men. There were women and children there as well. And he fed them all with two fish and five loaves because a young boy gave them to him. Just this little basket of food. God used it. In the same way he can use us. We know the woman, the widow in Zapatha, I think that's how you say it. Go on and correct me if it's wrong. Say yeah, who basically was struggling in life, had a small amount of oil. And Elijah prays over the oil, and the oil fills jars and jars and jars and jars and jars. So there were no more jars in the village to fill, just so that she could get by. That was just a small amount of oil. So what I would say to you all this morning is God can give the gift of healing to all of us. It's his choice if, when, and how he gives it to us. We just simply have to receive it, nurture it, be available to God so that he can use that, that gifting. And we also have to acknowledge that sometimes that isn't easy and that's not convenient. Thank you. Of course you can.
It's a really good question that I've asked for many, many years. And I, I think for me, it doesn't answer your question, but for me it's just that it's, as I said earlier on, it's God's overall plan. And one thing I think we have to remember is that if every time we prayed for somebody they were healed, first of all, Christians wouldn't be ill and they'd never die because most of us would keep praying for each other. And also, what it might also mean is that people become Christians only because they want to be healed. Does that make sense? And I think it's, I think it's a difficult one because, you know, I mean, most of us have been there. You've prayed for someone and it just hasn't happened. And I think it's just not part of God's big plan. And as hard as it is, you know, when you think about it, if you believe in eternal life, you know, the greatest healing is that someone dies and they're in a place of no suffering and no harm. But that, I think that, for those of us on the earth, is a difficult thing for us to believe. But if you believe revelation and if you believe in eternal life, actually when they go, we shouldn't be mourning, we should be celebrating. But that's difficult for us to do. But I think that's to do with free will, isn't it? You know, if, if, if God was able to, if everybody that was bad, and that's a bit risky because I think all of us, have, you know, it's what, what degree of, of badness is that. If God wiped those people out because they were bad, first of all, we'd have to look at how many of us, I'm not being disrespectful, but how many of us are saved. But also, it doesn't work like that because we have, a, we have free will. And because we have free will, God accepts the fact that we make mistakes. And sometimes part of our illness, the illness that we suffer from, or the people we're praying for, actually, they brought that upon themselves. You know, so God can do as much healing as he likes, but they'll carry on doing what they were doing. So they carry on making themselves ill. Judith. Can I just say something about it's as we said it's just part of the plan um, and we don't know why God if God chooses them at all I mean some people pass away die because of their own doing but we don't know why that happens I and mean, it just it just does yes 
that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And one of the things I hope is when I get to heaven that it will be explained to me, and it may not it may not be so complex then. But it is a difficult it is a difficult it is a difficult position. Thank you.